We'll start reading at verse. We're going to be looking at verse five. We're going to be looking at several verses actually today, but uh, want to uh, read verse five as kind of the foundational backdrop of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Timothy chapter two verse five says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and men." The man, Christ Jesus. Lord, we just ask you now to be with us as we open your word and as we present your truth here this morning, Lord. We know that everything that's found within these pages is true. And we pray, Lord, that you would form our understanding by your truth. And that we not lean on our own understanding. May we not look towards theologians and commentaries and the teachings and traditions of men to form the basis of what we believe, but Father, may we find truth in your word alone, and that our doctrines and that our teachings may be (coughs) grounded, rooted, found from the pages of your scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would help me today to preach truth and the things that I preach be error. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring to mind to all your brethren that are listening the truth and that you might bring me into correction, that you might give me the understanding of what these things mean, that I might rightly be able to provide it, to be able to share it. But Father, Lord, we just pray that your Spirit will be among us to help us. The only way that we can accomplish these things, speaking the truth, hearing and understanding, knowing and discerning the things that are truth and the things that are not is by your spirit. And so we pray, Christ, that you would send your spirit to teach us today. Lord, we thank you for these brethren that are here in this day that you've given for us together. And we ask that you might bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is only one God and one mediator between God and men. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. Now, I've mentioned to you guys on many occasions that uh, the Bible, the Scriptures say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means these are God's words. Uh, and God doesn't just throw a bunch of filler in here just to fill up space. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't put things in here that shouldn't have been here. And it's just happened to get put down on paper. Now it's been printed for years and years and years and years. This is God's Word, His preserved Word. We believe that thoroughly. And uh, I know there's a lot of discussion and debate out there whether or not we have the preserved Word of God and whether this is uh, perfectly uh, uh, inerrant. And uh, uh, some people say that only the autographers were perfect and that we don't have a, a Bible since then that's been without its issues and stuff. I believe that God's preserved His Word. I believe that we have a Bible that is inerrant, that we believe that every word of this is inspired of God. Uh, and uh, that he has, as he promised, would keep his word. The Bible says that his word uh, would continue, that it wouldn't, uh, that it wouldn't uh, fail, that it wouldn't uh, go away, that it would always stand, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will always be here. That's another reason why we don't believe that with the culture and with the traditions of men and the way that society goes and the changes that happen within those societies, that God's word has to be well. That don't have any 
bearing for us today because that was back for an older time. Now, God's Word stands in every generation. I remember I preached just not too long ago that God's purpose and God's will stands to all generations, not just the generation that it was written to, not to just everybody that was at that time period or in that situation. It's to all generations. And so uh, God's Word doesn't, uh, doesn't change. God doesn't change, therefore His Word doesn't change. And it's the only truth that we have. And because of that, a lot of times whenever we preach and we teach and we hold to things that we find in Scripture that are truthful, a lot of people, they don't like that. They won't, uh, uh, they won't agree with that. That their, their minds either have not been uh, converted by the Lord if they are the elect of God. Their minds have not yet been taught of God to understand that rightly. And until God reveals that and gives them light upon that, they don't understand that. Or they're a reprobate and they cannot because they don't have spiritual life. They, they cannot understand the things of God. They cannot receive the spiritual teachings of what the Word of God says. They don't understand or nor do they believe God uh, for what He says and honor God for who He is and for what He has said. And so we see that a lot of times that the teachings of Scripture uh, can get you in trouble with a lot of people. It can uh, cause division. Uh, Jesus said, you know, that uh, that uh, whenever he came and whenever the people of God believe upon him, that there would be division, even among mother and daughter and father and son, that it would cause division among households, that it would cause division even within the churches. The Bible says that heresies must come, that it might prove uh, uh, those who are Christ. And so we see that sometimes whenever you teach and preach the Word of God, those who hold to something other than the truth, there will be issues. But even among the people of God, sometimes there are those who do not have the same understanding of Scripture. And again, I say the reason for that is because the Lord has not yet shed light upon that to some or, or others, one way or the other, Okay. It's something that I preach that I feel strongly about, that I'm convicted about, that I feel is what the Scriptures is clearly saying, and, and I have thorough Bible to back those things up. If I have that interpretation wrong, then the Word of God would be able to correct me. And somebody else may see that error and know that, and they may come and talk to me and say, hey, you know, I think you're wrong about this, and here's the reason why. And the Lord does just not reveal that to me. I just don't know. I can't understand. I can't see that. I don't understand. I don't see where you're coming from, why that's true, that you're saying this seems to be the truth about what this is. And so there is this dependence upon God to reveal these things. That's why we as the people of God, especially if we have brothers and sisters in Christ who believe the gospel, and on some of these other issues that we talk about uh, and everything, whenever we disagree with those or we don't see eye to eye on that we should be uh, loving and long suffering towards them uh, we need to pray that God would reveal truth whether it's to them or to us and uh, that we would pray that God would grant repentance to the acknowledging of the truth so I say all that because what I want to talk about this morning uh, has a lot of controversy that surrounds it uh, matter of fact there have been uh, preachers that I know that have uh, cease to fellowship with uh, people like me and other preachers that hold to this position uh, about Jesus. Uh, and 
I think that they've done so uh, too quickly because they've not listened to what we had to say thoroughly. Uh, they're jumping to conclusions, maybe. Uh, they're not realizing the implications of what we're talking about, um, what the Bible says, the clear stuff. And that's why I say every word counts. When we go to the Bible, every word counts. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 5, we see that there is only one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man... Christ Jesus. And my thoughts immediately on this go to the fact that the Holy Spirit, whenever he give Paul, whenever he's writing to Timothy, to write this down, he made clear to say the man, Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and man, is the man, Christ Jesus. He didn't say the Word. He didn't say the Spirit. He didn't say the Father. He said the only mediator between God and and man is the man, Christ Jesus. And we've talked about this before. We know that Jesus Christ, as the God-man, He is both fully God, fully man. That's how He becomes that intercessor. He becomes the intercessor by taking on not only His or having His divine nature, which He has always had, but taking on upon Himself the nature of man. So therefore, he is fully God, fully man. Whenever he became man, he did not put away, as I mentioned last week or a couple weeks ago, he did not put away his deity. He did not lay aside his divine attributes. He did not cease being God. He merely submitted himself in that form as man to all of the purpose of God. He submitted himself to God to follow out the plan of redemption, the purpose of God according to election. And so Christ, he never did lay aside deity. Whenever he is God, he never does say, well, I'm not fully man, I'm just pretending to be man. He was fully man. Okay, there are some that teach that Jesus really wasn't man. Whenever he died upon the cross, he was just a spirit. It really wasn't flesh. He wasn't man. Whenever he rose from the dead, he wasn't a real man. He was just a spirit. Uh, if he even did raise from the dead. So there's a lot of controversy around this, and I understand why some men can become very uh, concerned whenever they're hearing something different than what all the theologians of the past have continually regurgitated over and over and over and over again, and what systematic theology books have over and over and over again put down and what commentaries have over and over again said, whenever they hear something a little bit different than what they're used to hearing, they become a little uh, a little cautious, full of trepidation, before they want to you know, listen to it, or even especially accept it you know, as true. And so we understand that there is this, and we want to be sensitive to that, and I in no way want to belittle anybody or to ever say, you know, because all this is, is learned by God uh, and everything. But as I said, this the Holy Spirit put this down that there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He put in the word man, Jesus Christ. Meaning that the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ as man and God combined into that one flesh 
that mediatorial work consisted of God being in flesh, being man. The whole reason for God taking on the form of man is to fulfill the offices, the roles, the character of Redeemer. And within the characteristics or the the role of Redeemer, that's where we see the words the Son. He is God's Son. How is He God's Son? He's not God's Son by divinity. He's God's Son by begottenness. God has prepared and begotten Him. He's prepared a body for Him and has begotten Him as the firstborn Son. If He's begotten, He cannot be begotten as God because then He would be a begotten deity. And we know that the Bible says that He has been forever, that He is eternal. God never had a beginning. God never had a starting point. God never had a time in the divine Godhead that God ever began to exist. He has always been. He is eternal. And He's always been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this is talking about Jesus. Yesterday, today, and forever. And somehow, I don't know how to explain this, and I don't have a full grasp on even all of what I'm going to talk about today. But I just know one thing, is that Christ assumed this manhood as our mediator before the foundation of the world. He didn't start this manhood at Bethlehem. It, he was born of a virgin, and I should probably say at the outset of this, I truly believe that Jesus is fully God, that He is divine, and that He is fully man. I also believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, and that by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. We're going to talk about that uh, and everything. And that Jesus was made in the fashion of a man. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That Mary had not had any relations with a man. Therefore, Jesus was not born of Adam. But I also believe that Jesus didn't have anything from Mary. Mary didn't have anything in Jesus, otherwise he would have been on the earth earthy. So we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes though. So I believe in all those cardinal doctrines that Jesus Christ is not just a spirit, that Jesus Christ was not just pretend man, he was truly man. And I don't believe that he put away his deity, I believe that he continued in his full deity. And that he suffered as a man, that he was tempted as a man, and that he was—he uh, felt everything that man feels, so that he might be our uh, uh, mediator, that he might be our uh, 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 God who sympathizes with how we have been and how what we are going through and what we know. I believe that Jesus is that, but I believe that Jesus Christ assumed this manhood before the foundation of the world. Because there, again, if Christ stood as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that's in a mediatorial office. If Christ stood as the mediator between God and man in the everlasting covenant, He stood as the God-man because there is only one mediator. The Word, that, that person of the Godhead, and I say person, I believe that the Godhead, that God is one, 
and that the Godhead is uh, shown forth in the characters of the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are the record bearers that are in heaven that bear record of who Christ Jesus is and who God is. And these three record bearers are found in their fullness in Christ Jesus, that He is the embodiment of that Godhead. I don't understand the Godhead. I'll be honest. I don't understand the Godhead. I just know what the Scriptures say, that there is only one God, and that that God is shown Himself as Father, as Word, and as Holy Spirit. And that God is invisible, and it cannot be seen. But yet that God inhabited a body, and all the fullness of that Godhead was found in the man Christ Jesus. And we see that within that man, Christ Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily, but He also submitted Himself as a servant like us, becoming a man, and that in that He dwelt as the God-man. And the Bible says that as that man, Christ Jesus has been the mediator from all time. So we don't find any references in the Scriptures anywhere where the Word has been our surety, where the Father has been our surety, or where the Holy Ghost has been our surety. The only thing that we have ever heard of the references of the surety, of the mediator, as the redeemer, as the, uh, as the king, as the prophet, as the priest, as the sacrifice, as the lamb, as our propitiation, as all the terms as son, all the terms that have to do with Christ in His role, even the word Christ, Messiah, all these refer to God as man in His role in man. So all the what we would call pre-incarnate references to God speak of Him as the three one God, Father, Word, Holy Spirit, in Christ Jesus, or, or all the pre-incarnate speaks of that three-one God, but whenever it speaks of Christ, it's that three-one God manifested in the flesh. And I don't believe that the Scriptures get confused. I don't believe the Holy Spirit is confused when it gave the writers to write about Christ in His offices, Christ in His roles, Christ in His duties within the redemption, whether it's God as He ordains all things and God as He elected us and then gave us to Christ, the Holy Spirit who gives us understanding and quickens us and, and, and teaches us and seals us and keeps us and makes Christ known to us, all those things, I believe, are all found in Christ Jesus all the works of God are found in Christ Jesus. And I believe the Bible bears this out. Whenever it speaks of the works of Christ, it speaks of the works of Christ as the God-man. A body was prepared. The Son was brought forth or begotten of God. And we never hear these terms used as Word, Father, and Spirit as it pertains to the redemption of God's elect. It's only the man, Jesus Christ. 
And the reason for that is because there is only one mediator. The Word is not the mediator. The Spirit is not the mediator. The Father is not the mediator. God, that Godhead that is made up of Father, Word, and Spirit, has become mediator through the man, Jesus Christ. So turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born. Now, here we're talking about who? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Him being born unto us a child is born. So, when was Jesus born as a child? Well, that was in Bethlehem, right? So now we're speaking of Christ's humanity or Christ's manhood as it pertains to being born of Mary. It says, For unto us a child is born. But if you'll notice, the child that's being born is a son that's being given. See, Christ was born of Mary and therefore was basically Mary's child, legally, was Mary's child. But the Bible here says that for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God's son, Christ the man, God-man, is given as that child. So in my mind, in my understanding, that the child that was born was the son already to God, therefore he already had manhood. Yet he was given to us as a child. And then as a child he grew in stature. And he grew in, 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 in grace with the Lord. It says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called out. Here's the other names of Christ. The Son. The God-man. The God-man. Now remember, who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So we're talking about God already manifested in the flesh. Who is this? And here are some of the names given to the God-man, the one manifested in the flesh. Wonderful. That's why we sing the song. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. But the Bible also says that His name shall be called Counselor. Didn't Jesus say... That if I go away, the God-man goes away, I will send unto you another counselor. And then later in John chapter 14, the Bible says that I will send myself to you. He said, I will send, I will come to you. Well, wait a minute, I thought the Holy Spirit was coming. That's a, another person that's coming. Now Jesus said that I will send another counselor. I'm here in the flesh as God-man. But I, Jesus, will come to you as my spirit. I will come to you. 
but I will come to you as spirit. I will come to you in the spirit. And so he did come. And he is the counselor. He is wonderful. He is the counselor. Look at here. The mighty God. We know that Jehovah revealed himself to Moses or to Abraham as the mighty God, the almighty God. And the definite article the is there. The mighty God. So Jesus, the God in flesh, is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. If you speak of the mighty God, you're speaking of Jesus. If you speak of Jehovah, you're speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the mighty God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is the triune Godhead in flesh. He is the God-man. And He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Look at here. The Everlasting Father. Now that's odd because a lot of people want to distinguish the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. But the Bible says that the triunity of God is the Father, Word, and Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And that one God is revealed or manifested or shown or, or, or uh, imaged in the man, Jesus Christ. You can't see the invisible God. Father, Word, Spirit, that Godhead, that one God that is Spirit, can't see Him. No man has seen God at any time. The only person that has ever been seen that can be said to be God is Jesus Christ. And it says here that He's the everlasting Father. Jesus said, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And here we see that the child that is born, the Son that is given, is not only the wonderful Counselor, but He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and here it is, the Prince of Peace. This speaks of the role of Jesus as our Redeemer. He's the one who brings peace between God and man. He's the one who brought peace between us and the Father. We were at enmity towards God. Jesus Christ is the one who brought peace to our heart so that we would no longer be at enmity with God. He also brought peace in the fact that God who is holy and we who are sinful can be brought to be with God because He has he is removed the enmity between us. He has removed the sin that was the barrier between us and God that keeps us from coming to God. He has removed that. Therefore, God can justify us and have fellowship with us because Christ has removed that barrier of sin, that barrier of death. There is no sin. There is no death that can keep us. He is the Prince of Peace. This speaks of Jesus, the man. So it is the man Christ Jesus who is the mediator of that covenant and stands as such as long as that covenant has been. So however long that everlasting covenant has been brought forth within the Godhead, Jesus Christ has assumed that manhood, that role as God-man. Because there is only one mediator. A mediator, a testament is not mediated upon a, a, one. 
It's a mediation between two. And we see here it's a mediation between God and man through the God-man. God didn't, God didn't covenant with us individuals. He covenanted with us through our head, through our surety, Jesus Christ. Jesus stood on our behalf in that covenant. The covenant was, here's my law, it must be kept fully. Here is perfection. Righteousness must be established. If there is no righteousness, all those who are unrighteous will die. All those who sin, they shall surely die. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But yet Christ stood on our behalf as our surety, as our mediator, as the God-man. He stood in our place as our righteousness, as our perfection, our law-keeper. He stood as that. Our righteousness comes from Him. Therefore, as long as that covenant with God has existed, Jesus has been standing in that role as the God-man. If the man Christ Jesus has stood before the foundation of the world as mediator, not to mention the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, then it seems to me that the man Christ Jesus was begotten, brought forth, and a body prepared before the foundation of the world. Now, all this got me thinking whenever I was actually preaching several years ago through the book of John. And in John chapter 1, if you'll turn with me, John chapter 1. And verse 1. You see something about the Word of God here. John chapter 1 and verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now who made all things? The one who was God and the one who was with God. The Word in flesh. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made all things. We know that the Scripture is very clear on this. That Christ made all things. Jesus. Now again, brethren, Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Word incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, The God-man refers to Jesus in his manhood. And it says here that Jesus in his manhood was the one who created all things. So therefore, if Jesus created all things, then that means that Jesus, the God-man, existed before the foundation of the world. Because all things were created by him and for Him. So notice, though, if you would, 
It says that the Word was with God and was God. Now the Word was God. I take that uh, to mean that He self-existed as God. The Word was God. He was already God. He has always been God. The Word is God. So, he self-existed as God. As being part of that Godhead, he self-existed. And we clearly know that the Word was God. It says right here, for the Word was God. Right? Now, we know the Word. We know that the Holy Spirit. We know that the Father. The Bible says that these three are one. So, how can somebody be God, but be with God? He was God, but how was he with God? Well, I think that that's what the second part was. He was was God, and he was with God. The Bible says that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So I find that to mean, in John 1, that this self-existed God, who is spirit, who is invisible, who cannot be seen, found a spatial presence with God, a physical presence with God, through becoming man. And through that body, through that manhood, Christ created all things. He, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, so the Word existed before all things. The Word was God, but the Word was also with God. How was the Word with God? I believe He was with God in a spatial existence, in His manhood. If we look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6, we'll see that that kind of corroborates some of this. Turn with me, Colossians chapter 1. Look with me, if you would, verse 16. Now, we know that this first chapter here is speaking of Christ Jesus. It says, for by Him, and again the context here is speaking of Jesus Christ and His preeminence. Okay? For by Him, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now if you don't see that, if you don't believe me on that, go back and read the first 15 verses because we say, we start here, Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of Satan light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, speaking of the God-man, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness 
of sins. That's speaking of the Redeemer's death. Okay, so we're again talking about the God-man who is the image of the invisible God. We know that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. Keep that in your mind. The firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So Paul identifies the Creator of all things as Jesus Christ. Now we know back in John chapter 1 that speaks of the Word made flesh. The Word who was with God is the one who created all things. So who is the one who is with God? Jesus Christ. The God-man in flesh. The God-man already assumed manhood and was with God as God, but with God in that form, in that body. Why? Because He's the one that created all things, visible and invisible. Why? Because He's the firstborn of all of all the creation. He is the firstborn of all the creation uh, of every creature, and he is before all things. Jesus Christ was before all created things, but yet he is also the firstborn of every creature. Now that's not me speaking. Now I know a lot of people are going to say, "Cry heretic, heretic, heretic," and they're going to use these names from way back when, and when all the councils of the Catholics got together to try to put forth all these different doctrines that for some reason non-Catholic people like to hold to. Uh, This clearly says that Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, is the firstborn of every creature. It didn't say the firstborn after he was born from Mary. It didn't say that he was the firstborn of just people. It says he is the firstborn of every creature. Some people will say, so are you saying that Jesus Christ was a created being? I say yes. The man, Jesus, was surely created. The Bible even says, a body hast thou prepared for me. Made. He was made in the image. That means that there was no body. Now there is a body. Where did that body come from? God is a spirit. How did God manifest Himself in the body unless God, the Spirit, prepared the body? Made the body. Fashioned the body. Created the body. That's where people are going to start parting and saying, I don't think this is right. This is some sort of heresy. But rather, look, the Bible clearly said this, that who is the one who was before all things? Christ. Well, Christ is only known as the God-man. 
Who is the one who was before all things and created all things? Jesus. The one who was God, but is also with God. I'm not saying that Jesus was not God. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus was God, but he was also with God. How was he with God? In the very fact that he was God manifested in the flesh. Now, some people are going to say, well, I think you're taking that a little further. I think that it means that he was the firstborn and being raised from the dead. Well, look with me in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3. verse 14 the Holy Spirit who came and had John write these things and this is a letter that he wrote to the Laodicean church it says and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things saith the Amen who's that talking about? does anybody know? who's the Amen? Who's the one who came to tell John to write these things? It was Christ. These things were given from Christ. So Christ is the Amen. The one who is telling John to write these things are the things that come from Christ. Christ is the one who is dictating these words. That's why he's called the Word. Okay? All the things that are written in the Scripture that are inspired by the Spirit are the words of Christ. God's words. And if they're God's words, they're Christ's words. Because Christ is God. It says, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Ah! So here we see the faithful and true witness. We know that the Bible talks about Jesus being the faithful and true witness. Um... Well, we won't go, we won't follow that rabbit trail. But we know this is speaking of Jesus, but look what it says here. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So Jesus is identified here as the beginning of the creation of God. When God began to create things outside of Himself, outside of the Spirit, which was God, when he began to create, the first thing that he created was the man that he would inhabit, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and then by that man, all things were created after him. He is the first creation of God. Is that not what it was said in verse... 16 of Colossians, or uh, uh, verse 15 of Colossians 1. That he is the firstborn of all creatures. Jesus is noted as the beginning of the creation of God. It's not the first time this has been recorded 
as we've seen in verse 15. So this is kind of what helps me understand John 1. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, look back. Go go ahead and go back to John 1. I, I know this is probably confusing and probably erratic. I apologize. I'm just not a smart person. No, we're very organized one. In John chapter 1, go back to verse one, uh, chapter 1, and we see here in verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I, John, bear witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. Okay? So now let's look at this. It's a little more into what what we're talking about here. Note this. The phrase, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We mostly connect that verse with Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But nowhere does it talk about that. Nowhere does it even hint that this is talking about when Jesus came in Bethlehem. Matter of fact, again, as we looked at this passage at the very beginning, we see the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. This is talking about before the foundation of the world. So we don't have anything here that tells us that this being made flesh only took place at the place of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Okay? When was He made flesh? Well, does the Bible talk about that? Well, we just read two verses that said He was the beginning of the creation of God. That He was before all things. So that manhood, that body, that flesh that he took upon, whatever kind it was, which I would say it was a spiritual body, whatever that body was, it was surely, uh, it was surely before the foundation of the world. But that body did come; he did come as man and dwell among us, and he did that before Bethlehem. You say, well, wait a minute. You mean Jesus was here before He was born in Bethlehem? Well, absolutely He was. There's a ton of verses in the Old Testament that tells us these things that we'll get to later. But it says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, it does not say uh, that He assumed this at Mary, at the birth with Mary. We've seen that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. If He would have been born of Mary, brethren, He would have been of the earth earthly. There's no timeline revealed whenever He was made flesh and when He dwelt among us. It merely states the fact that the Word became flesh and that God in flesh dwelt among us. God dwelt among His people 
in the Old Testament. But notice, secondly, that John said, and we beheld His glory. Whose glory? Now, open your Bibles and follow along with me, because if you just kind of tune out, you're not going to hear what I'm saying, and that's where a lot of people get a misunderstanding of what we believe about these things, and they begin to think that we're preaching heresy, or just automatically tune us out and say, well, that's wrong, I ain't listening to that guy. Whatever the case might be. But look at what it says here, and let's look at the context, and let's have some exegesis and not eisegesis. Let's exegete the Word. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Whose glory? The Word made flesh. Who's the subject here? The Word made flesh. Who is the Word made flesh? Jesus. Now, does that hold up to scrutiny? Absolutely it does. And we beheld His glory. And it says in verse 15, John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. So John bore witness of this person. So we know it's speaking of Jesus Christ because John was the one who came bearing witness of Christ before. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. That was His purpose. God had purposed that before the foundation of the world, prophesied about it in the Old Testament, and brought it to be at the exact time it needed to happen. Therefore, John was born six months before Jesus was. John actually was existed in here, so to speak, before Jesus was. But notice what he said here. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me, meaning I'm preparing his way, and the one that I'm ta- telling you about that's coming after me is preferred before me or has pre- prevalence or has uh, superiority over me. Why? For he was before me. How is Jesus before John, because if we're talking about being born in, in the womb, how is Jesus before John because John was born before Jesus? John was born six months before Jesus. John's mother conceived and had John in her belly ready to be born in nine months before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. So how is Jesus, the Word made flesh, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the one who is before, before uh, preferred before John, the one who was before John, how was He before John? Because He was God. Manifested in the flesh before John. He was manifested in the flesh in His heavenly manhood. Look look there at verse 14. And we beheld, or excuse me, and, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Now what glory? What glory is it that they beheld? Because if you remember, whenever Jesus came, Jesus came lowly, a man of sorrows, no calmliness. We talked about that last week. Right? Jesus came and nobody would even think about Him to worship Him or anything. But yet it says here, we beheld His glory. 
tells us. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What glory was it that they beheld? The glory of God manifested in the flesh. They beheld the glory of God in flesh. Which Paul said is a mystery. That God was manifested in the flesh. How is God who is eternal, how is God who the Bible says that the heavens of heavens cannot contain manifested in the flesh? I don't know. But He was. And they beheld the glory of God being manifested in the flesh of the man Jesus Christ. And it was this man that the Bible says was before John. It was this man who the Word was made. And it was this man who was with God. Because he was God. So he existed before as man. So I'm convinced that Jesus is the image of the invisible God that His flesh was prepared, was given, and was manifested before His birth in Bethlehem. Now what happened in Bethlehem was a glorious thing, brethren. It was a glorious thing. But while we're talking about what was going on in the beginning, Him being with the Father, creating all things, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Can we find this found in, in, in the Scriptures? In other places, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing established. We've already seen it in two places, three places. Let's see if it's found anywhere else. In Genesis chapter 1, and look with me if you would at verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. Now, God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. So God created man in His own image. Now I'm fully aware that many take this to mean that He created them as a moral, rational, thinking people. That's what I've heard most of my life, that He's made them with body, soul, and spirit. I do not deny that the Scriptures say that we are made of body, soul, and spirit. But brethren, whenever God says, let us make man in our image, does that mean body, soul, and spirit? Does the Bible say that there? Let's make man in our own image? It's presupposition that leads us to think those things. Now, I would have no problem with the fact that God has made us to be moral, rational, and thinking people. Mind, emotion, will. Again, the will that we have is according to the nature that we have. Our will is a will that's bent towards self-righteousness. We're going to do whatever makes us look good. Pleases us. Satisfies us. But, brethren, the word image does not refer to things like mind, 
emotion and will. Them are not images. An image is something that is a form, that is a likeness, that is something that is... If I told you to make an image of this cup, would you just describe the cup? No, what would you do? You probably would either take a pencil out and you would draw an image. Or you would take some clay and you would form it into a cup. Or you would take some paper mache and make a cup. Something. But you would make a form or a fashion, you would make something in the image of this cup. An image is an image. It's something that's to be seen. It's something to behold. We beheld His glory. We saw. We looked upon. We felt. We handled. He had reality. He wasn't a spirit that was here that looked like a man. He was man. And so an image is something that is not body, soul, or not soul, spirit, not mind, emotion, and will. That's not an image. The word image means an image or a likeness. Likeness means a resemblance. Now, if somebody says that we were made with body, soul, and spirit, I say, okay, well, I can go with that. Jesus had a body, he had a soul, and he had a spirit. But everybody wants to say we were made body, soul, and spirit, mind, emotion, will. We were made moral creatures. But where's the body part? If we were made body, soul, and spirit, what about the body part? That is what image means, though, by the way. But it seems many drop the body part. They say it cannot mean that since no body was given to him until Bethlehem. See, they immediately try to equate that. Oh, well, it can't be meaning his body because that didn't happen until Bethlehem. Well, we've just seen that Jesus had manhood before he was born of a virgin. Jesus had manhood before that. That he assumed the body like unto his servants. He assumed a body that was prepared for him that would look the same as the body that his servants would have. But he was made first. And we were made after him in his image. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. But if we search the Scriptures also, brethren, we'll find that every place that the Bible speaks of the image of God, it always speaks of Jesus Christ. The image of God is found in Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Now there's a lot more that we can explore about that. About Him standing as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Only as the Son of Man, as Jesus, as the Christ, the Messiah, as He the sacrifice, the surety, the mediator, the substitute. All those names refer to God in the flesh. So as long as He has been our surety, our mediator, our Lamb slain, He has had manhood. And therefore there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Now, that was just the introduction 
Next week we'll take up with the rest of this. Uh, I just wanted to begin that today. It took an hour to get there. But there are several verses that we have throughout Scripture that teach us this very thing. And I hope, by God's grace, to be able to do that next week. Uh, so uh, if this has piqued any interest in anybody, that you may not have heard this or read this, or come back for next week. And I'll finish for what we believe, why we believe these things. And this is nothing new. I mean, I'm not preaching something that's new. I mean, there's been brethren that has preached this down through time that we can find record of that has preached this. Um, I know lots of brethren that, that are here today that believe these things. Are they on TV and radio? No. They're not. But most of the guys on TV and radio don't believe the gospel either. So, uh, anyway, we'll pick up with this. Anybody have any questions or anything? I know that was kind of a little bit convoluted trying to go back and forth, but uh, yeah, and I apologize for for my weakness. It's not the weakness of the scriptures, but it's my Anybody got any questions? Comments? Anybody watching, if you have any questions or comments that you would like addressed, I would be glad to take those comments if you want to message me or even the comments there. And uh, I don't particularly uh, desire to have an open debate on our Facebook page there, but we can have a discussion in private if you want to have that and everything. But uh, I'm always open for correction. Anyway... Father, we thank you again for this day and we thank you for Christ Jesus. We thank you for the work that he has done on our behalf. We thank you for all that he is in us and for us. The worlds that were created by him and for him. We give him praise. By Christ Jesus, the man, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord that he is Jehovah, that he is Yahweh, that he is the everlasting Father, that he is the Prince of Peace, that he is the mighty God, that he is the wonderful Counselor. Every tongue will confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. And Father, Lord, we just pray that all men will see your beauty and your glory in the work that you have done as the Son As the God-man, you manifested in the flesh on our behalf, assuming the role of a servant, and finding equality as God, not robbery, because you are eternally God. And so, Father, we just ask that you just might speak to our hearts, teach us, give us understanding of this mystery which is God manifested in the flesh. Give us understanding as best as we can in this feeble mind and feeble body, Lord, what it is for God to take on flesh and to dwell among us. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You have promised that you would make your place, your presence, in your tabernacle, which is your people. We are the lively stones that you have built for yourself. 
not made with hands of man, but made by you. You have built us up, and you have dwelt among us as long as we have been your people. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for our union in Christ Jesus and the salvation that comes by him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.